0: To First Thessalonians, actually, we're in chapter three, and it's Paul's prayers, prayer for the Thessalonians. I have a question for you, Floyd or Ed. Did we do this prayer last time?
1: Last week I was teaching class, so. Well, oh,
0: that's right. You weren't here. Maybe
1: Floyd knows. Well,
0: Floyd, <laughs> Floyd's the only one who can help me out. If he remembers.
1: We go so slow. We probably finished the first verse.
0: <laughs> no, me... no, we started in verse 13, and we got at least to chapter 3, verse 5. I know we did ch- chapter 3, verses 1 to 5.
2: Yeah, I think that's where we stopped.
0: Okay, so let's do the prayer. Uh, who would be willing to read? That would be huh? b- chapter 3, verses 6 to the end of the
1: chapter. I can read if you want. It's from okay. the recipe. Okay. Thankfully, Timothy, has just returned and told us the good news that you are well and continue to live in love. He told us of the fond memories you you have of us and how you are eager to see us just as we can't wait to see you. I want you to know that it is your healing, your confidence in God, and your spiritual development that have kept us from getting discouraged through all the trials we have endured. Knowing that you are steadfastly growing in the Lord keeps us going. Words cannot express the gratitude we have to God as we rejoice in his presence over you. Every day and every night, we ask God with all our hearts to see you again so that we can assist you in your growth and add what is missing to bring you to complete maturity. We pray that the Father himself and our Lord Jesus will open the way for us to come to you. May the tidal waves of God's love overflow your hearts, flooding your lives with love for each other and everyone else, just as our hearts overflow with love for you. May he solidify your character in purity and love so that you will be found Christ-like in God's presence when our Lord Jesus comes back with all those in unity with him. Boy, he was certainly... Excited about getting back to them, and
2: mm-hmm.
1: not only from the spiritual, but he seemed like he really they were his friends, and he really wanted to get back to see him. He'd been through so much already. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wanted a little peace where he felt a little safer, you know, on this earth around friends.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was really a warm letter,
0: yes, it is. Um, if you look at Ephesians, or for comparison, there's a, there's a prayer that he prays in Ephesians. Uh, we went through it a while ago. This is why I kneel before the Father. Every ethnic group in heaven or on earth is recognized by him. I ask that he will strengthen you in your inner selves and in the riches of his glory through his spirit. I ask that Christ will live in your hearts through faith. As a result of having strong roots in love, I ask that you will have the power to grasp love's width and length and height and depth together with all believers. I ask that you will know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge and that you will be filled entirely with the fullness of God. Glory to God who is able to do beyond all that we could ask or imagine by his power at work within us and glory to him and the church in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. Amen. These are both prayers. It seems that the Ephesians prayer is kind of a generic prayer. It says wonderful things. It's wonderful things. But compared to his prayer for the Thessalonians, it's not as personable. And that could be because Ephesians was not written for the Ephesians alone. Most scholars think that the book of Ephesians was a circular, circular letter that was hmm. written for a number of churches and it ended up being called Ephesians because that's where it ended up. Hmm. But Thessalonians is certainly written for the Thessalonians. I think that's what makes the prayer a little more personable. Although, if you look at Romans, he's very personable in Romans because he's writing to the Roman Christians. And he's telling everyone to tell them who to say hello to. And it's a long list of names.
1: Mm-hmm. In 16. It's not a
0: prayer, but it's <laughs> it's his hello epistle, <laughs> you might say at the end.
1: Yeah, verse uh, Chapter 16?
0: hmm
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I, I've always thought of Paul as a naturally aggressive leader. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Meyer Briggs' temperaments. I'm sure you are, Ed. Yeah. Somebody down at Loma Linda, we were in a group talking about temperament types because we had just done the Meyer Briggs temperament test. And they asked me what I thought Paul's temperament was. And I said, I think he was an ENTJ. (laughs) (laughs) And they gasped. I don't know why, what for, uh, except that to me, that's the strongest temperament there is in Meyer Briggs extroversion uh judging and and the nt component which nts are very logical very rational they're called the rationals by david kiersey and I, I see paul as all of those things and i see him therefore as maybe not having as much of a heart it's so rational that that he can sound come across sounding a little bit severe though not often so when, when I find something like this in First Thessalonians where he's he's warm, he's caring, uh, he wants to meet with them, I believe that's the work of Christ in his life. I believe that's the evidence of the work of Christ in his life. Tell me if I'm wrong.
1: Well, in my mind, the Lord knows what he was doing picking him. <laughs> You'd really have to have this personality the other side might be someone that's really warm and cuddly and understanding and sympathetic and
0: mm-hmm.
1: holds you and rocks you in their laps and stuff and it's for his time frame and our time frame while that's really important feature to have it's not going to bring us through and he was dealing you know in his times with terrible atrocities just yes. people in general aside from the Christians or the people that love Jesus. uh, I mean, it it was really a difficult life in a lot of ways, and you had to stay in your own level. You couldn't, you know, grow up and be a doctor if you're real poor and you're a sheepherder or something. David's story is totally, totally weird if you think about it, where a sheepherder ended up being uh, the head of the whole tribes. I mean—
0: Not only the head of the whole tribes, but he was the head of the army.
1: Head of the Army and everything. So you know, I, I think the Lord, of course, knows what he's doing. And, and those Myers-Briggs, <laughs> as we look at him, uh, he was a perfect fit for the, his role. Now, that Myers-Briggs, though, doesn't identify the individual as uh, uncaring or dishonest or deceitful. No, no. Uh, it's just talking about their, their emotional bent, isn't towards a lot of lovey, huggy, kissy yeah. stuff. Yeah, and I thought he was sort of huggy when in uh, Romans there, when he's mentioning you know maybe that's the best he could do at the time, but he mentions everybody's name. I always wonder why is he calling everybody's name like he wants them to have prominence in the church, or I think that's his way of really giving them a hug. Yeah,
0: (laughs) well, he said somewhere in one of his letters he says, uh, "Greet the saints with a holy kiss." Hmm. So there was a central kiss, a holy kiss, and maybe a respectful kiss or something. I don't know. I don't mm. know how many kisses there were in, in the Roman Empire, but right. it's interesting that there is that.
2: Wouldn't it be similar to the, the Arabic culture today? Because even, even today, like in Saudi Arabia and other places like that, they still greet each other with a kiss.
0: That's true. They kiss. Do they kiss both sides of the face?
2: Right, right.
0: So the um, and that's the in Turkey. Practice. In Turkey, they do that too. Yeah. In Albania, I think also. Yeah, and I, I am who am not a kisser, would have a very hard time adjusting to that society. <laughs> I am not. I'm but, not uh, eager for kisses. <laughs> I love hugs, but <laughs> please don't kiss me.
1: Behind those uh, social attributes, so those are formal, formalized right. systems. And behind that is all kinds of rules and regulations that you don't break.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like mm-hmm. I couldn't uh, go up to a woman and kiss her. I don't do that in Arabia.
2: Right.
1: And... uh So there's certain people you hug and kiss, other people uh, you bow to. I mean, it's such a rule-laden society. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And they believe that's who God is. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And they're following him. They're laying down the rules. And if you break the rules, of course, you have to be punished. I was offered to be the head of uh, uh, human resources for the uh, foreigners working in Arabia in And uh, I started thinking about that, that it was so rule bound, and I don't remember all the rules. And if I go out of society and uh, happen to talk to the wrong person, they would punish me. And the foreign uh, people in that land working in America and everybody else, they're not going to be able to help me.
0: Hmm.
1: You're, You're really bound. And you had to live in compounds.
0: Did you have a manual that you could go by to find out those rules?
1: Oh, yeah. You were well prepared, Mm -hmm. but humans don't do very well following all the rules. No. And it was so abusive, plus the way they treated the local people they hired into the compound and stuff. I just uh, felt that I was (laughs) becoming a little more like South Africa or something. And also I was offered the job in South Africa to do the same thing, but... The way they treat other humans that aren't part of the system, you know, it's and it's still going on.
0: Well, Saudi Arabia, for for centuries, has not integrated at all in in terms of the larger society. No, they have kept our conclave that's all their own, and I think that makes it hard for them not to be have those. Enormous amounts of rules that you have to keep and, and strict punishments it's, it's easier to to fall on that because there's nobody to do anything better
1: I don't know. if It's off the track. We think of Paul in Ephesus um, When he's preaching he apparently had a really large response And so they they didn't attack his preaching or his person they attacked him from a financial basis and a lot of cultures, it's very financial.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That is your, no matter who you think your God is, that is your foundation is the finances. And you do mm-hmm. anything to keep the finances because without the finances, you starve.
2: Mm-hmm. You have
1: no medical help. You have no care. You have no family. It took a man who was extremely not impacted about the world outside him. And he did the same thing before he was converted. There's not very many Jewish leadership that went out to get purposely letters that let you to kill people. If they killed people, it was probably on the quiet. But he was so determined that he went out and got letters that he could go out and kill. Mm-hmm. And this is an extremely powerful personality.
0: Yes. Well, and I guess that I see the ENTJ as... A powerful personality, the most powerful, exactly. And I think that's why I chose that as Paul's type. And plus the fact that he's very rational in the way he he does theology, yeah, particularly in Romans and Galatians, which to me says that if God could transform Paul, he can do and he can transform anyone.
1: Hmm.
2: I think this probably this whole book is an example of his transformation because mm-hmm. you know, this whole book he's focusing on affection on on their feelings and he's he really seems to be doing it in a very extremely diplomatic way without pointing out sort of the, the elephant in the room mm-hmm. which is they're losing their faith in the very thing he showed them. And instead of confronting them about that directly, he keeps going back to talking about their relationship and trying to remind them of of their connection with him and their connection with God. And even in this prayer, you know, I was looking through this, and he's still complimenting, 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 and then he just sort of drops in a little hint, you know, okay. as a question. Well, what thanksgiving can we render again to God for you? Can we perfect that which is lacking in your faith? Well, which is the reason for the better, I think.
1: As I think about it, I think that that's his rational. Mm-hmm. He's letting his human part come out, the warmth, but that's his rational. If you point your fingers at me and criticize me and stuff, I'll only tolerate so much of that because our human nature is to uh, push back, to blame you. And so for some reason, and I don't know if we really know what happened there, but for some reason, he must've determined that he'd better approach it from a softer position and to try to build them up that way. And he'd spend a lot of time. Now I don't know way it's set up in the Bible. This is sort of at the end of his ministry after he's talked to all these different countries and cities or what. But at some point he must have realized he has to come softly to them and support them to reach them. And we do that, you know, with our children. Sometimes we're more confrontive. And set the boundaries and other times we come in really soft to them to get them to be open to us and as a therapist i don't start out confronting the person you know why did you stay with that man for 20 years that's beating you every day you know i don't confront them I i start with a softer approach and uh i don't know i'm probably reading into paul i don't know who paul is really <laughs> from my limited abilities <laughs>
0: You know, in my version, it's soft all the way through. He's, he's very complimentary. My version turns that last piece into volatile, volitional terms. May the Lord cause you to increase and enrich your love for each other and for everyone in the same way as we also love you. May the love cause your heart to be strengthened, to be blameless in holiness before God and our Father. It's, it's his wishes for them. And that's probably what it is in the Greek, because the Greek has a strong volitional verb stem. I'm looking at my uh, new Revised Standard Version because it has a little bit of background information on First Thessalonians. Paul founded the church at Thessalonica during his second missionary journey. He had taught there just three weeks when he had to leave suddenly because of the opposition of the Jews. Recent converts from paganism were thus left with little pastoral support in the midst of persecution. So they were really helpless new babes without anyone to help them, and that's why he's so anxious to meet them again. Both external and internal evidence support the view that Paul wrote First Thessalonians. Is generally dated about A.D. 51, except for the possibility of an early date for Galatians, A.D. 48-49. First Thessalonians is Paul's earliest canonical letter. So that's the opposite of what we think. We think of Paul as he ages gets more mellow, you know. <laughs> no, this is actually early on. He's he's really showing a lot of tenderness, and it would make it sense because Apparently the problem is still the Judaizers following him around and trying to upset the apple cart for the believers of Thessalonica. And Paul knows that they're kind of helpless, they're, they're suffering persecution from these Jews, and he wants them to be, kind of be embraced by the love of God, to be to be nurtured by the love of God, uh, to recognize that that's where their healing comes from that's where their sanctification comes from that's where everything comes from that's what i see him doing here in uh first thessalonians
1: so that's why he's really reinforcing that he wants to come back there yes because they need, desperate they need support. because they
0: know he knows they need him yeah. mm. they didn't have enough training they didn't have enough care nurturing knowledge Knowledge. Yeah, just plain knowledge. Anything else in this prayer before we move on? Anything else about this prayer? Or can we move on to Chapter 4? And um, since there are only three of us now, is it Rosemarie or Rosemary?
3: It's Rosemarie. But I E at the end, yeah. Most people call me Rose because it's much easier and simpler. So I'm used to being called Rose most of the time.
0: Okay. So Rose, would you be willing to read the verses 1 to 8 in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians? 1
3: Thessalonians Mm 4, you
0: said. Verse 4, I mean chapter 4? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Verses 1 to 8? Okay. Um, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact you are living, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know that instructions, what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is in God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects, rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So now we're back to Paul,
0: the, the guardian and guide. He's, he's uh, prepared them for, first of all, feeling loved and embraced by God and by Paul. Now he's, this is God's will for you. This is what he wants you to do. I'm curious, Rosemarie, um, what version did you read? NIV. NIV, okay. For a while, I had a hard time finding you, so I wondered if it was a, a very free-flowing version, but NIV is pretty standard. Maybe my version is the one that's gotten more free-flowing. Anything here that uh, you would like to talk about?
1: Well, one thing that strikes me, and I think it's the nature of Satan's really angry that we were given the ability to procreate. And so what Paul points out, one of the most basic misuse of this creativity, this sexuality, and he identifies their sexual behavior. And when you think about it, how sexuality has been so most most used and abused, down through time. And it's such a unique feature of our, our beings. And apparently, Satan was really angry that we were given the right to procreate. And I guess he didn't have this right to procreate. But for whatever, and we have just uh, seen a total downgrading and abuse of sexuality on just all kinds of levels. And I guess it's kind of hard for me to think of ancient times when I'm living in a little small village or two or three tents (laughs) and so forth. You know, not talking about the larger cities, but like say before Mesopotamia and all the cities and things, it's it, it just hard to imagine. I guess before Noah's time, there was just rampant sexuality. And I, I don't know if they had big cities, but...
0: Yeah, I think they did have cities.
1: But you're thinking of people just sort of running around on the ground and the trees and the bushes or, you know, it's just been a total I think, disaster.
0: I think when the Bible says the earth was filled with violence and every imagination of the thoughts of, human hearts are only evil continually. You're dealing with a society in which there is no law. There is no standard of behavior. You do what you feel like doing. Yeah. So if you feel like raping a woman to gain power over her, that's what you do. And if you feel like taking another man's wife, that's what you do. And you you can kill the other man, and then he can kill part of your family, and then you can have a blood feud. I mean, it, it's just... It's doing what you feel like doing and not caring about anybody but yourself.
1: Yeah, I guess I I totally agree with you, but I have a little bit different uh, angle to that, that I don't think it was just men that were acting out sexually. I think just humans.
0: Oh yeah, I, I think both sides were
1: yeah. Yeah, was just a, using. I know, as a models. young man, I was so surprised well just as young man i was so surprised that women they were acting sexual like being provocative and of course then you didn't just sort of do like you do now but because i hadn't seen my mom or grandmother you know the family women doing this and like these young girls acting real provocative and the way they'd sit and i just uh, us boys would talk about it well must be something wrong with her. The boys are the ones who are supposed to masturbate and talk about sex and jokes and stuff. What are these girls doing? You know, it's, it's both men and women down through time. Mm-hmm. So I don't, in this verse here, and he's done that before, he emphasizes the sexuality. That's one of the main things mm-hmm. that he emphasizes. And I suppose if you can't move people away from expressing their innate desires through sexuality, you're going to have a hard time getting them to be open to the Holy Spirit and for another kind of guidance.
0: I've had various people I've known through the years who were in the LGBTQ community, and I'm not singling them out as an exception to this or mm-hmm. or something. I'm, I'm just using this as an example because of these is the people I've known I find that there are some who just are genuine, kind, loving Christians in the community. And then I found some who just really are preoccupied with sex. They practically worship yeah. sex. And I had a cousin who spent hours and hours in gay bars and, and boasted about his penis and on and on. I mean, just very obsessed with it, Paul is saying here, "Learn how to control your own body in a pure and respectable way. It's hmm. that doing that other is not respectable. Hmm. It's not respectful to yourself. it's not respectful. I mean, we weren't made to mount people like animals. we weren't made to give in to sexual urgence like animals.
1: Who uh, told you you were naked? Yeah, I mean it wasn't like. Well, who told you if you uh, ate this apple uh, that you'd get more knowledge or, uh, you know, if you're not caught, you wouldn't die. You have more knowledge. That's what the main thing is. If you drive five miles over the speed limit and nobody catches you, what's the problem with that? You're just getting to go faster. Well, okay, sometimes they catch you and you pay a fine. It's that the focus is so much on right from the get-go. Who told you you were naked? The implications of that.
0: I don't know if this will get you off track or help in any way, but it's interesting that in Chapter 3, there's a pun on the word naked. The snake was the most intelligent, sometimes translated cunning, sometimes translated crafty, of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. That word intelligent or crafty or cunning Sounds like the word for naked. It's spelled almost the same. Hmm. I don't know if that helps or hinders.
1: I don't know. I have to I think that. about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's almost like God is. If you were to use, extend that pun into what God says. Who told you you were naked?
1: Hmm.
0: Who? Who was so cunning? Who was so crafty, as to tell you you were naked?
1: So deceptive.
0: Yeah. I think that the sexual immorality is the one of the greatest deceptions of all time. The way God intended to be, and I think this is why the book, the song of songs was written. It was intended to put sex within the context of love and marriage Hmm. to take it out of this, to use a modern term MTV, I I would have students read this book, and I would ask them about it, and they would tell me it reminded them of MTV. All they hmm. heard was the sexual, because that's all they were imbibing in. Hmm. I think that's sad. I think because the message of sex in sexual immorality is about power, about dominance. About satisfying my urges, about playing, using someone else and exploiting someone else for my own desires. It's a very different message than the love message of marriage, is, that it was as it was intended to be. Am I, am I off?
1: No, I, I was thinking that through. I think that's really, really valid. Well, just in terms of my own uh, world as a therapist. So often I realized in graduate school, you know, when you're doing your clinicals, how much the elements of sexuality was circling around around all the other issues. And uh, it took a while more to try to get a sort of grasp of that. Mm -hmm. But it's not until this class with you over time that I've gotten, I think, a further grasp. There's something about the ability of a human to be created to get, to be so intimate. We can't be God, but we're going to be allowed to be extremely intimate. More than maybe any other creatures that he developed. That some way you get the impression from Sister White and maybe our own thinking in that, that we were the only creatures really allowed to be more like God to have a form of creation, of intimacy, of love. And now when you see uh, videos and programs of the expression of caring that animals give to an, uh, people, and then vice versa, but particularly because you see the people, but now there's so much being shown about the caring from an animal for humans it, it's and for each other. One I just saw recently is this little dog, a little not a total puppy, but not a full-grown dog, has made a friend with this bird. Mm-hmm. And it's, its you know, so this has totally been distorted for us now through time, from the beginning.
0: It has. It has become so a selfish expression instead of a loving, caring and selfless expression.
1: And when you mentioned, I, I don't want to get you off track for me, but or Rose, Marie, but when you mentioned something about your parents, the thought came to my mind, not really knowing what you're saying, are they being attacked? I think we're attacked by Satan in our age and our decrepitance that some way maybe I thought you were implying that they were sort of starting to attack each other or one or the other.
0: Are you and, talking about my parents?
1: Yeah. And,
0: no, um, it's not that. Uh, it's that my mother has issues swallowing. Right. And she's gotten to the point where it was taking her all day to eat a meal. You know, She would take two hours to eat and then take the rest of the time to drink water, then eat again, then right. drink water, and then eat again. It was just she had no life, and, and it was so difficult, and it, it wore her out. So my brother suggested that she back down and that she moderate how much she ate and how much she drank and not try to make this... this Because we, we held up the, the st- standard of, you know, 50, ounce, 50, 60 ounces a day. Well, she decided... My mother's a bit of an extremist. She's It's all or nothing. So she decided she would stop drinking water and just eat. And, of course, she got very dehydrated. And what happened is her, can't think of this mineral, potassium. Her potassium levels went down. And then she began. Her
1: electrolytes are all messed up.
0: Her electrolytes got all messed up, and now her mind isn't working well. Yeah. So, no, they're not attacking each other at all. It's just that my dad is wearing out because he has to get up in the night to help her. And he's 97. And I'm afraid she'll lose him and have no one. And she's not willing to go to a nursing home. She's not willing to go to the hospital. She's not willing to go into a hospice. She's not willing to do any of those things. She's very strong and definite about it. And my brother and I both have power of attorney over her. In the advance directive, it says she agreed to the one where we could override her decisions if we felt we had to, if she became incompetent. We're reluctant to do that.
1: One thing I recall working with uh, elderly for a few years, one of the main features, you know, besides the loss of your brain powers, your body, and all these things, is a sense of not being worthwhile. You know, why am I here? But also the concept of losing all power of choice.
0: Well, my mom. My mom has always wanted to control everything and everyone around her.
1: Right. She's,
0: she's so always there
1: that way. Her world is so small, she doesn't have much in any other areas to make choice. So if you guys can approach her in some way recognizing that, that she might hanging on because now i got just all I can choose now is this. If you can come up with a, a way of helping her, shift that choice.
0: I don't know. I am not skilled like you, Ed. I don't know how I would do that.
1: Well and have somebody maybe that has works with elderly that knows.
0: My brother is is better at that, although I don't know that even he is able to persuade her. I think circumstances are going to have to be the persuading factor.
1: Well that's what happens most of us we just don't have a choice and they just do something. <laughs>
0: I think that's the only thing and I pray a lot. I pray a lot for her and for my dad. That things have gotten very, very difficult and yet not bad enough to be able to do anything about it. In other words, she's still able to function barely. Barely.
1: So maybe uh reach out to Michael, you know, Jefferson and see if he knows somebody. With the skills and has that understanding about
0: you know my I think the biggest issue when, when her brain when her brain becomes confused she becomes fairly untrusting of everyone so bringing a stranger is just not workable I she yeah, until I, yesterday until yesterday she wasn't willing to even have a caregiver we lost our her caregiver through a really upsetting situation that was just really bad. And consequently, she doesn't want another caregiver. Yesterday, she expressed for the first time, asking about a caregiver. And that was because she sees me as having to work too hard. I, I don't agree. I think my dad's the one that's having to work too hard.
1: Yeah, Gene, I, I understand totally what you're saying, but humans, and no matter what age and mental status and health, They have an innate built-in that the Lord gave us, uh, willing to listen to other humans. The skill is being able to, knowing how to get them to do that. Now you have an opening there about the caretaker. So I would reinforce the concept, maybe not by direct words with her, but you know how she responds. But I would reinforce the concept that she is in control. She made a decision Mm. about the caretaker. Mm -hmm. And try to choose a caretaker that won't confront her and keeps reinforces her ability to make decisions. I would keep that as the focus. The focus, the rest of it, the keeping her body cleaned, the food, how much food, the water, these are not the main issue as far as that'll keep her alive, but it's not the main issue about her from her, herself. She has to feel that she has some ability still to make decisions. And you already said, that this is a woman that always wanted to be in control.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's not a whole lot she can control now, but she gave you an opening. She asked about a caretaker. So reinforce that. Well, mom, do you think this is a good idea? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about a. Do you really need a caretaker? What was your, on your mind? What were you thinking? What was your thoughts? Get her to express to you her decision, and reinforce that decision. Okay. You want to think of it this way: the prayer, the Lord answered your prayer. You don't want to go to heaven and say, "Well, look, I gave you a, a few answers. I, 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 I let her make a decision. You know she wants to make decisions. Why didn't she respond to that?" <laughs> Uh, that would be my suggestion, okay. and there are
3: also another another thought um, if you find out what she values or invite her into valuing you know mm-hmm. when you when you enter into a community where people are open to receive and when people are um, listening and learning from each other and developing and growing. And there's, you know, there's a different atmosphere. So when a person is very demanding and rigid and controlling, and I'm not saying that's what she's doing all the time, but um, when one is in that space, you it's not beautiful. It's not beauty. And uh, so when a person starts Valuing beauty. Like the more you value beauty, the more it transforms you into it. You know, like when you meet somebody who is expressing some kindness and understanding and love and and warmth and connectedness and you know, synchronization and and harmony, you know, all those kind of things, that's beautiful. And when you value that, the more you value it, the more you're willing to surrender to it. Yeah, I'm,
0: I, I like that. I'm just trying to transfer it into a practical mode of how to, tr- how to implement it. So
3: I think if you can, if one, a person is able to mirror or, or to um, bring those images into life situations... Actions in life situations, the way you interact and, or maybe even showing a movie or taking, um, finding a movie that expresses beauty and um, the contrast, you know, between different environments. Like when you're in this environment where people are more controlling and independent and don't, you know, don't want to you know reconciliation and harmony and peace and love and intimacy and working together as a team is very beautiful it's one of the most beautiful things to experience and when we experience our normal ways and operation of things it's very boring it's very predictable it's their the their the beauty and the life and the spark is very gone. It's gone. And when a person is older, you want to bring a spark back, so that that spark in in helps them actually to live longer. And when you value beauty, your length of days of life is also increased. You know that just like it says in the Bible. Honor your father and mother so you'll be living long that's an expression of beauty when you honor when you show understanding love and uh, and respect and you know when we give another person the freedom of choice like you was dialoguing earlier on those are all forms of beauty expressed in practical ways Thank
0: you Thank you. For that. So
3: back to uh, your Thessalonians. Uh, yeah, actually, I want. Yeah, I also wanted to ask you something about this this passage, when, you know, it's talking about, uh, you know, that we must please God, and then it starts. It's like almost it introduces, you know, please God, and then it tells you how people are not pleasing God and what not to do to please God, and then in the last verse, it kind of says, you know, if you. You, when you don't please God, you're actually rejecting God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just curious about, um, you know, Paul is asking us to please God, but the human natural heart cannot please God. And uh, he's stating all these specific things of how we don't please God and, um, and how we, rejecting God most of the time, all the time in our lives, which puts a lot of disillusionment in a sense. There's not a lot of hope because a human being cannot please God. Um, And it says we must be sanctified. So the sanctification process, like in that verse, is like the, the spark of hope being sanctified. Well, if the flesh cannot i mean we don't do anything good our heart is desperately wicked so you know it's 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 like paul is telling us things to do which are impossible to do and yeah it just seems like um, that's i think that's one of the reasons why human beings don't read the bible because when you read the bible it's very hard to find the solution because it seems to be described a lot of the time. Just like actually when we're dialoguing, we're describing things. But um, how actually a person pleases God, it seems like a mystery in some way because it's like God has to be the one that comes in and causes and does everything. So it comes to the question Actually, comes back to your question with your mother. It's like, how does one surrender? Like, if you look at this passage, how is Paul asking or inviting into a surrender? Because it's only through a surrender to the Spirit that one can actually do all of those things.
0: If you look at the first verse, So then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus to keep living the way you already are and even do better in how you live and please God. This is not Paul saying, shame on you, you should be doing better. This is Paul saying, you already are, but I want to remind you of these things so you don't get caught up in them, so that you're aware of them. And he talks about sexual immorality. In all the Greek cities of Asia Minor, Sexual immorality was quite rampant, and it was tied to religion. And so he's trying to steer them away from that. And he's used a strong language because that was the way people talked to one another in his day. It's mm. like the, the way people talked to each other in the 1800s in America. It was the Victorian era. People told them what was right and what was wrong and expected them to live up to it. It was just the way society was run. To go at it in a different way, they wouldn't have heard the message or taken it seriously because that isn't what they were used to. And I see that Paul is trying to get them to take it seriously because he ends on, therefore, whoever rejects these instructions isn't rejecting a human authority. They are rejecting God who gave his Holy Spirit to you. So Paul is is saying, you don't think i just, I'm spouting as a human being and you can ignore me. This is coming from God.
1: Well, and I think along that line is their life was a life with rules.
0: Mm-hmm. There was the Roman and, code.
1: And laws. Oh, and
0: well.
1: the life of, uh, of their gods was a life of appeasement. You always have to appease God, offer sacrifices, or the sexual activities, or you know whatever the humans develop to appease God, or their majority of gods.
0: And, and appeasement, at its very heart, is manipulating the mood of exactly. a person rather than dealing with the real issues causing the problem.
1: And I guess what you're saying is he is using that. Tone of language to turn them away to a God who isn't asking for appeasements.
0: No, and God doesn't. God can't be manipulated. Right. He can't be controlled.
1: Right. Um, so I and think so it was, like, but,
0: like God, you're supposed to control yourself right. rather than controlling other people.
1: And that would be kind of a freaky idea to me because if I don't sacrifice my oldest daughter here. Gods are going to not help me.
0: Yeah, it's a totally different paradigm Ooh. that Paul's working in.
3: I had a conversation today concerning, you know, the sacrifices of the lambs, you know, and the animals in the Old Testament. And then when Jesus came, then there was the end of the sacrifices. Um, one of the things is that uh, the I wanted to know, those sacrifices were, I know it was because, it was symbolic of Jesus' death to come, and um, Jesus could only deal with evil and uh, bring it to an end. But um, those sacrifices—could one say that that was actually—it wasn't God's will to do that? Because I was today, I was speaking to some um, Hindu people, Hindu and Islam. And they said to me, you know, we have a great problem with God in that, you know, Jesus having, being the symbol of this lamb and all these animals being killed. And so I was just wondering, well, those animals, it wasn't actually God's will. He didn't like that whole setup himself, but that setup was happening. Wasn't it because of the accusations against Satan's accusations against God? So wasn't it actually Satan? bringing about that system, which wasn't God's choice, because but God went I, that direction. I see
0: it as God having to answer a question in the very beginning of Genesis. When God says to the man, you may eat freely of all the trees of the garden, but this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, You may not eat of it. uh, On the day you eat of it, you will surely die. The snake says to the woman, not, you will surely die. He negates it. Now the question is raised, who's right? Who said the truth? No one has ever seen death before. How is God supposed to convey to Adam and Eve what death is and what it means? And who is going to answer that charge that God has lied when he said, you will surely die? I see that very first lamb being offered to show Adam and Eve, this is what I meant when I said, you will surely die. This is death. And I'm, I see God as having that whole sacrificial system, which he did not enjoy. He did not really like. But he had it to keep reminding them sin leads to death. This is what death is. Sin leaves an innocent victim to die. I am that innocent victim. I am going to sacrifice my life by letting Satan and sin take my life. Uh, so I see also- the I see the, the sacrificial system and the cross of Jesus as exemplifying the fact that not god but sin and satan caused
3: death so the killing of the net. Na- so the killing of it was actually it was um, done by the sinner it, it, it was, was the sin, it was, sin it was the sin the curse of sin that caused the death the, so it wasn't sin. god actually the one killing the lamb
0: no the sin that caused the the death of the lamb was, was to kill it because it, it's always the sinner that kills the lamb or whoever's responsible for the sins kills the lamb. So sometimes and God like priest.
1: didn't kill Jesus.
3: Yeah.
1: He didn't That's kill like, Jesus.
3: So, so when, when Abel br- killed the lamb and brought it to God, because Cain did not kill a lamb, he killed his brother instead. So the issue is, you know, yeah, so it's not God killing these lambses. No, although, no. although God accepted the offering. So this is yeah. where the difficulty comes with the Hindu. Well, yeah, Why is God it does, accepting? Because the Hindus
0: them? almost worship these animals, yeah. and they give more to them than the animals actually have. But the, the whole issue is Abel is bringing the animal as a sinner, repenting of his sin, confessing it to God, And he slays that animal, indicating my sin has brought the death of an innocent animal, and that animal has had to absorb my sin, just as Jesus absorbs it on the cross.
1: Well, couldn't the whole sacrificial system which God set up be a result because these people came out of Egypt were the gods was all the fact sacrifice and so forth. And a lot of these people were not eventually, they eventually became Jews, but these were Egyptians and other cultures and countries that were They're, slaves and free they, people. Yeah. So he had to speak to them in a language they'd understand, a really strong language. He couldn't say, hey, be nice and be sweet or, you know, send a pamphlet out, love me and stuff. He had to use a system to keep identifying sin and the causes of death and so forth.
0: Well, he also had to teach them how not to sacrifice because the, where they were going to Canaan and where they had many of them had come from originally, right. there were lots of sacrifices made to gods. Right. And they had a different meaning and different connotation.
1: They were appeasing God then.
0: <laughs> Apparently, we don't know for sure about the Canaanites and what they were doing. With their sacrifices, we know the Mesopotamians appeased God with everything they did to the gods. But I think I th- what I do is sometimes separate the system of sacrifices from the single sacrifice, say that Abraham made when he built an altar and offered a burnt offering. The system of sacrifices was, like Ed says, to give to give each person the ability to see what sin does and it was needed because of the cultures around them. And that God never really liked that system. And so when yeah, Jesus, so when Jesus came he abolished that system because he himself because he didn't like what it was doing and how it was being abused. He mm-hmm. abolished that system because he fulfilled it. Mm-hmm. And he yeah, and
3: that- yeah, that thank
0: you. That that's really you, have, you have the statement in John ten, No one I lay down my own life, no one takes it from me. hmm So this is this is something way beyond what I think the Hindus think it is, and what the
1: uh, Muslims think it is. And Christ had to fulfill the design law that the wages of sin is death. And so Christ fulfilled that. And in that process, took all the suffering and struggle and into himself and offered himself as a sacrifice. And that In other words, it,
0: it was for demonstrating the truth that God, yeah. that not God, but sin destroys.
1: Mm-hmm. And it was in
0: answer to Satan's charge that you, know, you will not surely die. Jesus demonstrated, oh, yes, sin kills. Sin is what destroys right but it's not god
3: mhm and then the other question i had was why was mary chosen Wh- why was she chosen i know the hindu people they they said to me that there is she she didn't express her her unkind nature she never expressed her, her evil nature but um there's many philosophies and beliefs like why was Why was Mary chosen? Well, I, I, you know, I tried to
0: deal with that in a practical way. Why was Noah chosen? Well, God found favor with Noah. Noah Mm -hmm. found favor with God, I should say. Why were the prophets chosen? Usually because they had a way of communicating with God that God could trust them with his message. Mm. Why were the Israelites chosen? They were weaker, smaller. Uh, Look at their some of their despicable behaviors, look at some of the things they did to God. God still chose them. He chooses people because he knows them. He knows he can trust them with a certain task. And beyond that, sometimes he chooses them because they are weak. Mm-hmm. So peace, his strength, and his grace can be clear, clearly manifested. And that's something your Hindu and Muslim friends can have, have a hard time understanding because they live in a system of works where you earn favor
1: of god and they've developed a system of all the human attributes and behaviors and thoughts and desires into different kind of gods they have all kinds of gods
0: well the and i used to too. go to an yeah.
1: ashram and uh, the leader there gave me a name megashion which is the blue god and i have seven ma- milk maidens and then also the Buddhists, when I did work in Europe and I traveled around Europe to different countries doing workshops, they, one of the people from the Buddhists called me a name that means the garden of the gate between good and evil. And these other religions have a total dance and a play of their gods and the way they relate to the world of good and evil, the yin and the yang, and everything has got good and evil. They can't understand like a beginning of evil or an end of evil or what. There's always been this interplay of good and evil. So everything is couched in those terminologies. And I think it's something that to pull them out of that, the Holy Spirit really has to be working with them.
0: Yeah. It's It's a a paradigm shift. It's a paradigm shift. And everybody has trouble with paradigm shifting.
1: Well, um,
3: Our time. Anyway, thanks. Thank you so much. It was very interesting. Mm -hmm. I
0: think probably we better close. Let's have prayer, and then I'll abandon our class. Okay. Dear God, thank you so much for our discussion and for meeting with us today. We thank you for uh, our new person, uh, Rosemary. We pray for a special blessing on her and also on Ed today. Mm -hmm. Be with everyone, and... Give us a good rest of the Sabbath. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.